Well, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the current administration. We explain Trump when we can. We try to help you navigate through the noise and give you a thoughtful perspective about what's happening in America, in this administration, at home here, and throughout the world. Coming up today, we'll hear from Gordon Chang, one of our favorite people. He's the author of many books, including Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World. We're going to take a look at the Olympics and what seems to be a nicer, kinder, gentler, more diplomatic North Korea. Is that true? Is the door opening for change in North Korea? Gordon will discuss that. Also, our friend, your friend, Howard Kurtz, host of Media Buzz on Fox News and author of the new book, Media Madness, Donald Trump, The Press and the War Over the Truth. We'll talk about the obvious media bias against President Trump and who it helps and who it hurts. But first, let's talk about some things. Claude Jennings, uh, producer of this show, joins me. Claude, how are you? I'm doing great, Bill. How are you? Good. A little uh, travel weary. I um, You were all over the place uh, last week. Flew to Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Uh, did an event for Seth Liebson. Uh, ah, right. Former producer of Morning in America, you remember? And uh, he's running for Congress. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got a shot. That's a tough district. Uh, he's a conservative Republican. And uh, it's an independent district that went strongly against Trump last time, and he supports Trump. But it was a very good event, raised some money, and uh, set some good uh, fine fiddle, and uh, and we wish him luck. Then went on to Palm Beach, which is not really uh, my kind of place. Okay. Um, and uh, any desire to... A lot of very why? successful classmates of mine retired down there, and... <laughs> and uh, I, the guy said, man, you really know a lot about rock and roll. I said, yeah, if I knew something about uh, something other than rock and roll, I might be down here retired, too. But <laughs> didn't pay off that much. Anyway, I know a lot about college football and rock and roll, but mm-hmm. well, didn't pay like knowing how to run a bank or something or a venture fund or something. Right. Anyway, but it was uh, it was a good visit and um, uh, lovely hostess uh, who had us stay on, and I gave a talk, which uh, people seemed to like. And uh, I, I, you know, I don't. It's not Trump country. It's Republican country, but it's more establishment. Okay. I gave a defense of Trump. Why, you know, why I, why I like Trump? Double asterisk. That you know, <laughs> sometimes I cringe at things he does and says. But so you got to measure man by the t- totality of his actions, and you got to measure what he does. And what he's done has been pretty, pretty significant and and good. And um, in terms of policy. And maybe just as important, true to what he promised on the campaign. He said he was going to get the economy moving, got the economy moving, said he was going to get after ISIS. He's gotten after ISIS. So he was going to try to get the immigration thing fixed, and he is dead serious about that. Now he needs help on that. And, of course, he said he'd appoint a conservative to the Supreme Court, and he did, and he's also appointed a number of other uh, conservatives to the federal courts, which uh, pleases me. So, you know, I, I got a good response. I was going to um, say, I'm interested to see what response was like from that, uh, because most of the criticism yeah. comes from just the noise surrounding the White House, you know, the tweets, the things that right. he says, the things when he kind of goes off script. Uh, it was positive. There were a number, I'd say we had about 200 people in the audience at this, uh, at this uh, dinner, and uh, I'd say, you know, about 70, 80, 90 people, maybe half were with me. The other half were polite. These are very polite people, though. Right. You know, they're not going to start throwing stuff at you. you know? <laughs> uh, anyway, but uh, uh, it was well-received. I think people thought I made a good case. Uh, but let's talk about what they're up to and what they're doing. Because, you know, there's a couple of things that they did this week that happened this week that really distressed me. Uh, first of all, this this treatment on this Rob Porter, this assistant, mm-hmm. 
uh, who was, uh, you know, taking all these, presenting all these documents to the president. This is the guy who's accused of domestic violence. Had two wives right. who both said that he was uh, abusive, physically abusive. One wife had a picture with a black eye. Uh, and he's denied it. And Trump made a statement which said, we wish him well. He's a really great guy or worse that effect. And it's done a great job and uh, wish him well in the future. The president did not mention how serious domestic abuse is. And he should right. have. Right. And he should have said, if these things are true, you know, then he absolutely has no place here. But uh, he didn't mention that. And he's being he's being scored for it. Um, that is a, an obligatory a phrase you got to use uh, in talking about things like this, and this is you know, very much in the news and very much on people's minds. I, I was as much concerned about the fact that the guy Rob Porter, who worked off of General Kelly, uh, chief of staff, did not have security clearance. Right, and that's what I found kind of odd and weird. Right, because he's handling everything. He mm-hmm. got to see all the paper that went to the president. A lot of that is very top secret, classified stuff. Now, when they didn't give a full security clearance, that should have been a red flag, and that should have been caught. So that uh, that bothers me. That whole thing was not well handled, and mm-hmm. that bothers me. Another thing is, I'm I'm enough of a of a budget hawk here that uh, I was troubled by this ra- radical increase in uh, the deficit we're going to see uh, with the spending. I mean, we just broke the spending caps. I understand the argument about the, the military, and the military needed it, mm-hmm. and. I would have, I think, violated this quest to support the military. But did you really have to support all that domestic spending as well in order to get the military? Uh, I don't I don't think you did. But um, I'm, I'm alarmed at the spending because um, there's only so long and so much you can do on this before you can't get it back. You can't get your economy back. Um, now there are promises of uh, they're going to get after domestic spending seriously, even and perhaps entitlements. I frankly do not see the president's appetite for going after that. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But we know where the money is. Uh, years ago, Claude, you remember on our radio show, we mm-hmm. talked to Paul Ryan about the path to prosperity, and he said you just got to get to the entitlements. Right. So if you keep spending like this uh, dramatically and uh, radically and... Uh, you know, way more money, uh, you're going to have to cut somewhere. And, you know, where's the money? It's in Social Security and Medicare. As someone who is using Medicare like like a fiend these days, <laughs> I mean, I'm not that sick. It's just, right. you know, it's just, you know, everything that occurs to you occurs to you after 65. Um, you know, I can see the need for reform. But uh, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. He's got to address it. Um the memo wars, let's just wait and see. I'm not going to comment on this. They're back and forth with uh, with Devin Nunes. I'm on his side completely. And I just heard Peter King saying, look, you know, there were these, you know, applications to the FISA court for wiretapping, for bugging, you know, this, this Carter Page guy, based on uh, information given by this guy Steele, uh, you know, through Fusion GPS, which paid him. Uh, and the, the money came from the Democrat National Committee. And maybe even some of the information came from uh, some Democrats via the State Department. Let's wait and see where this comes out. This back and forth, this side, that side, the Republican memo, now the Democrat memos in, memos in limbo. Uh, I'm following every jot and tittle of this. You don't have to. Let's see how it comes out at the end. I am still betting 
hoping part, maybe in part, betting a little, uh, on Michael Horowitz, who's the Inspector General at the Department of Justice. Um, he's the guy who got some of these texts released, the texts between Lisa Page and uh, Peter Strzok, and I think he may uncover a lot more. Uh, let's just see what happens in these in these memo wars. Um, but my money's on the Inspector General. I hope he does a good and honest job. Otherwise, I just don't know how this gets resolved. It's he said, you said, the Democrats say this, Republicans say that. I know where I am on it, and I don't think there's any question the merits that the conservatives or Republicans have this right. Mm-hmm. But the country, people aren't following it. Got to be very, very confused. Um, I do want to. we got Gordon Chang coming up, and I'm going to um, ask him about it. But I was alarmed. I, didn't, I don't know if anybody else was. I did not like the fact that the uh, sister of uh, Kim Jong-un was uh, sitting right behind our vice president. Uh, obviously, she had some security there. That's awful close. I mean, these are people who... Uh, Remember, they poisoned uh, the... Uh, yeah, it was like the half-brother or a step-brother. Half, his half-brother yeah. in a public place in the airport mm-hmm. using... Uh, what what was it they used? Uh, Gordon Chang will know. But, I, you know, I, I got nervous. I thought, man, maybe one of these security guys or she leans over and does something to the vice president. But I guess he was totally covered. If anybody had moved a muscle toward him, I imagine right. our Secret Service would have been uh, would have been all over it. But uh, boy, did our media swoon over her and think she was great and the North Korean cheerleaders. and You know, because Trump has uh, gotten tough with North Korea, that the media is going to take every opportunity to say, well, maybe they're not quite so bad or at least present this aspect of it in a positive light. The whole thing was kind of ugly to me. Ugly. So your thoughts on the week? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, the thoughts on the week coming up. I'd like to know what do you think, um, just on a little lighter note, Valentine's Day. Is, is on the way. Uh, well, thanks for reminding me. Uh, I guess I should say that right off the top. You right. Know, thanks for reminding me. I had it all set up because we were traveling mm-hmm. in the hotel. I should just give away all this that mm-hmm. we were going to. I had it all set up there for a nice surprise nice situation. Okay. But uh, we didn't do that trip, so i got to get to So now you've got to think of a backup. A backup and uh, too late for flour. Uh, we got anyway. Thank you, Claude. Da- well, it's interesting. Dag on you, Claude. And well, thank you, Claude. Here's the thing. So, and I can use your advice. I mean, you yes. know, you're Doctor Bennett. So, I am Doctor um, Bennett. Thirty-six been, years of marriage. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe two years or a year ago, my wife and I were speaking to a couple who just got married. They yes. weren't even in it for a year, and so we're just talking about different things. So, anyway, Sierra tells them that yeah, well, there are some things that change. And so automatically my ears perk up. And then so she says, like, we don't get each other anything for Valentine's Day anymore. And I look really? at her and say, wait a minute. I get you something every year for Valentine's Day. So I go down the list. How of many years you've been married? We've been married for eight years. Yeah. And so I'm going down the eight list. Eight years of gifts. Right. And she says, oh, well, I guess I just don't get you anything. for Which well, doesn't offend me. But But let's not do but the she, wholesale right, thing but here. She does it, but she, it's as if she doesn't remember Maybe I'm not doing enough. Maybe I'm just not wowing Speak her. Speak for yourself, to, lady. To I have been producing. Yeah, so what so should I do? So she says we don't do anything for yeah. each other. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, I'll get you something every year. Well, I would I would say, and this would be stupid, <laughs> try not doing anything and see what happens. <laughs> I don't want to make her out to be a liar, so don't well, do anything. Yeah. And then now she's telling yeah, the truth. I just say now, honey, I just <laughs> want to back up your credibility. That's right. <laughs> but I, something tells me. That won't work. No, 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 no. 
Well, do you do something other than like a little box of chocolates? Do you do something? Well, I try to do something that she had may have mentioned in the last month or so, or maybe since Christmas that oh. she said she may have wanted, but I didn't get her. Oh, and I really? Think something that yeah. So, so it's like a she, real thing, right? So my question is: Should I be offended, or should I just step my game? Up? Well, yeah, offend, not, if you want to stay married, don't be offended. <laughs> I mean, just just say okay, uh, and then consider whether you should try the move of, honey, I wanted to make you credible, so I didn't get you anything. <laughs> With all the attendant risk right. that that choice involves. Or, uh, yeah, just keep plugging away and don't get any credit for it. Because if you plug away and give her stuff and don't get credit for it, that's better than doing nothing and then getting slammed for that. Right. right there you go. Okay. I'll take that note. So I think that, yeah, there you go. That's it. Anything else you want to bring up? No, that's, it. That's, <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's it. All right. So a week without football. Mm-hmm. I got back from travel Sunday afternoon and uh, I... Searched around in cable and found a replay of the Super Bowl. So oh, did you watch the entire thing? I, I watched highlights, and I, I wonder if I'm going to be doing this, you know, a lot. <laughs> I don't know, but it's a, it's a sad time, and it's dreary and rainy and cold in Washington. Well, you can take out your iPad and uh, yeah. look at, go on YouTube and look up some college football games from this past season. I, I hope my, my son said, Dad, March Madness is coming up. Well, that's right around we the corner. get excited, yeah. right? Yeah. When do they pick the teams? The 60, uh, so after the 65 final... 65 teams. Yeah, right. so there's a conference uh, championship for all the conferences. Once that's done, it's that Sunday. Uh, and so I think that's in the... It's a weird. I think it's in the beginning of March. So March okay. Madness doesn't start until mid-March. Mid-March. March, okay. yeah. well, all right, I look to that, and I thank you. Okay. There you go. All right, good. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. Let's turn our attention now to North Korea, and let's welcome Gordon Chang to the show. He's the author of Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World, and is our go-to guy for things happening in that part of the world. Gordon, it's good to talk to you, my friend. Thank you so much, Bill. How about it? Is it North Korea tries to charm the world? There's a lot of specific questions I want to ask you about, but what is this charm offensive uh, that they're putting forward, and is it working? Yeah. Um, North Korea's charm offensive um, actually is in full force, um, and it is sort of working. Um, We had uh, the sister of Kim Jong-un, the North Korean ruler. Uh, She visited um, South Korea for the opening ceremony of the Olympics. Kim Yo-jong did create a sensation. Um, and indeed, um, you'd expect that because she's the first uh, member of the immediate family of the Kims to come to South Korea since the Korean War. So there was always going to be a, a lot of hype about this. Now, Vice President Pence, who was in South Korea at the same time, um, countered that. He talked about uh, North Korea's execrable human rights record. He did that by meeting uh, escapees from North Korea. He also did something even more important. He highlighted North Korea's aggression against the South. He visited the Chonan Memorial, which honors 46 South Korean sailors who were killed when their frigate was torpedoed by the North Koreans in March 2010. Um, but nonetheless, uh, Kim Yo-jong um, was able to create a little bit of buzz. They call her the Ivanka Trump of North Korea. And by the way, Bill, the real Ivanka comes to South Korea for the closing ceremonies, and so we're going to see U.S. public diplomacy go into high gear. So we will also have a charm offensive. Makes me want to ask, will we see Ivanka Trump uh, greeting the sister? Um I don't know if Kim Yo-jong is going to come back to oh. South Korea. Um, She's gone back already? 
she's she's already left. Okay. Um, and it's very possible that she'll be there. I know some people are predicting that. Um, the two of them, if they meet, um, that would be the media story for the world uh, of that day. Um, I'm not sure that it would event would occur. Uh, Vice President Pence, uh, when he was in uh, South Korea, and he's also returned, um, didn't meet the North Koreans. He didn't meet uh, Ms. Kim, and he didn't meet uh, Kim Jong-nam, who is the ceremonial head of state. Right, Miss, is that what you, how you refer to her, Miss Kim? Is that right, Miss Kim? Um, he was the picture we've all seen and the video we've all seen, Gordon. Uh, he's there, and she is right behind him or right behind Mrs. Pence. They don't turn and shake hands, right? Um, we didn't want him to turn and shake hands with her, correct? Yeah, um, he. it would not have been appropriate for him to shake hands with her. Um, he probably could have uh, acknowledged her presence by nodding his head. Um, this is gets very complicated. The one thing that Vice President Pence did, which was not helpful for American public diplomacy, is that the Vice President and Karen, his wife, did not stand when the unified Korean team entered the stadium. Um, this, of course, is controversial, but by doing so, many South Koreans thought that he was dis- disrespecting South Korea. And right now, we're involved in a struggle for hearts and minds of South yeah. Koreans. Yeah. And, and this is uh, anything that doesn't help us in that regard, even if we don't, you know, we, of course, don't like the vice president uh, standing up for them. But this is not a question of how we feel. It's a question of how the South Koreans themselves feel. And we need their support, especially because they've got a president, Moon Jae-in, who is willing to give the store to the North Koreans. And South Koreans, who are not exactly happy with that, we need to have them on our side so they hem in their uh, president. Yeah. Uh, I want to get into some of that uh, more important geopolitical uh, dimension in a second, but just a a curious question, or a question born out of nothing but curiosity. When she was that close to him, were were we or should we have been at all worried? Um, I I was nervous about it. Wasn't it uh, Kim Jong-un's brother who was... You know, at the airport where these two women threw something in his face and killed him. I was thinking, what? I hope the security is really alert. Am I wrong to put it past them to try to do something really outrageous like that to our vice president? Well, the North Koreans are capable of doing that. For instance, they killed a good portion of the South Korean cabinet in the 1980s with a bomb in Rangoon. Okay. Um, in this particular circumstance, um, there is so much security all over the place. Okay. Um, yeah. I wouldn't expect um, a 30-year-old to be able to do that, um, but you never know. She was so close. That's, that's what bothered me. She was so yeah. close. But I imagine I, there was a ring of security around him we didn't see, right? That was would, would have been ready to jump. I, it just made me nervous. I, the presence of any of those folks makes me nervous. Yes. Well, the, Kim Jong-un, the ruler of North Korea, uh, did uh, kill his half-brother, Kim Jong-nam, which is right. you're referring to. Right. And it was not only um, an assassination. It was an assassination in a public place with a weapon of mass destruction, yeah. um, which was VX, a chemical agent. The North Koreans have used WMD to kill uh, people they didn't like. And so, you know, this is this is not something which is out of science fiction or a spy novel. This is what the North Koreans have, in fact, done. All right. Well, you're being kind to me. Maybe I was a little paranoid, but um, as they say, even paranoids have enemies, so... 
let's go back to two things you said. Um, t- let's tease them out. One, it was partially successful. I take it you mean with the media. The media has been just gushing over the North Korean uh, cheer team and over the sister, uh, calling her the Ivanka Trump. Uh, there's been a lot of media, a positive media for her uh, in this visit, correct? Yeah, uh, there, in South Korea there has been. Um, I mean, the U.S. Has, too, in the U.S. too. And, and certainly in, in the U.S. Yeah. Um, what, what's happened is, in fact, just putting aside other considerations, but in fact, um, Kim Yo-jong did create this sensation in South Korea. And so that reporting is is accurate. Now, there are a lot of people in South Korea who, um, you know, are happy to have her there, but who um, abhor the North Korean regime. Right now, South Korea is an extremely interesting place. You have, um, it's very volatile, the electorate. And you have people who supported Moon Jae-in in the election last May um, have now turned against him, largely because of his outreach to North Korea. Um, Many people are not happy with the joint team. Um, many people were really upset um, that they fielded uh, a women's ice hockey team composed of both North and South Korean players. And the reason is um, that South Korean athletes who had trained for years uh, for the Olympics were turfed off their own team to make way for North wow. Korea's uh, wow. political decision. And more than seven, uh, 70% of South Koreans were not in favor of that. And that's at the same time, Bill, that more than 80% of South Koreans wanted the North Koreans, were happy to have them at the Olympics. They just didn't want to have them there as part of South yeah. Korea. Gotcha. Um, because a, lo- a lot of South Koreans, especially younger ones in their 20s, who supported Moon, you know, who are really not conservatives, um, have turned, as I mentioned, and don't support Moon's outreach efforts, largely because they see their society separate and apart from North Korea. They are South Korean nationalists, whereas their president is a Korean nationalist who supports a unified Korea. Well, very helpful. So that ties into something else you said I wanted to pick up on, which is the one mistake you said um, uh, Vice President Pence and Mrs. Pence not standing when the unified team walked in. Um, okay, uh, I'll, I'll take your word for it. It didn't bother me, but, but okay, maybe so. But it, it, I get the sense, and maybe you've already answered this, what you just said, that the hope springs eternal on the part of a number of South Koreans, or at least South Korean leadership, that they can get this act back together. Uh, is that right? I mean, just you know, they keep tr- they seem to keep trying year after year after year, and they and they take these overtures from North Korea seriously, which never really amount to anything real. Am I being accurate in my description or not? Yeah, there there are uh, a number of South Koreans, especially in their sixties, um, the generation of Moon Jae-in, who is sixty-five. Um, who are ideologically in favor of North Korea. And that's why it was important for Vice President Pence in the morning on Friday um, to talk about um, North Korean human rights, to talk about North Korean aggression. That was very effective public diplomacy on his part. As I mentioned, um, you know, at this point, you know, in, in a way, when our president um, during the State of the Union talked about North Korean human rights, it, it created an abnormal situation in the sense that the U.S. has a president who is more concerned about human rights of Koreans than the president of South Korea. 
Um, but we've got to remember that that uh, group in the electorate um, will never support the United States that are virulently anti-American. Moon himself probably is ideologically opposed to us. Um, oftentimes he will say things that support us, but that's only because the Trump administration has boxed him in, not permitting him to say what he wants to do what he wants. So this is a day-by-day struggle that we have with Moon Jae-in and a portion of the South Korean electorate. Okay. Yeah. Um, again, maybe that last phrase answers the question. There is a significant portion of South Korea that is somewhat gullible, believes that can things can get together. They can get together with North Korea, and then we can put down the swords, turn them into plowshares. There still is a significant number of people there who believe that. Well, be- well, yes, there is. But Bill, the good story is that that portion is declining. Okay. Um, and it's actually declining in ways which are surprising us. Um, as I mentioned, the, the 20-somethings um, have now pretty much gone to the side of the conservatives, at least when it comes to North Korea. So we are seeing the South Korean nationalism, which um, is essentially, it's, it's not overtly pro-American, but it supports positions that we support. And so um, now Moon is having a problem in that um, he's being uh, hemmed in on both sides by older, the, the oldest segment of the South Korean population, which remembers the Korean War, which is very pro-American, and now the younger generations, which take views um, that are very skeptical of North Korea. But there's a donut. In, in the middle of that donut, you have a generation that came um, of age when they saw the United States as um, opposing South Korean democracy. They're wrong, but that's the way that they see it. Um, you know, they fought South Korean generals, um, and they are very pro-North Korean. Okay, uh, I don't want to keep you too long. I know how busy you must be with all this. Uh, everyone wants to talk to Gordon Chang. We're lucky We're lucky to get you. Uh, factual question, are there still lots of relatives across the border? Yes, there are, but they're declining, of course, because the families that were divided um, at the time of the Korean War, you know, they're of an age where they're dying off at a fairly rapid cliff. So you have um, still uh, people who want to have these reunions between North and South. North Korea cruelly, and this is really cruel, um, has been using, um, trying to exert benefits out of South Korea and trying to do things um, to prevent these reunions. Um, And that means that these reunions have not occurred for quite some time. Um, But, you know, South Korea tries to promote these reunions in North Korea, just in, in just a disgusting display of uh, indifference to humanity, which, as we know, is is yeah. characteristic of the regime, has been preventing reunions. Let's talk the large picture. Are the sanctions? I just heard someone TV saying the sanctions are really starting to work. Are they? They are starting to work. We know this because, for instance, that soldier who defected in the middle of November um, across the joint security area in the demilitarized zone, he had uncooked kernels of corn in his intestines, which means that he was scrounging for food. Because he was assigned to the joint security area, he was an elite South uh, North Korean um, trooper, um, which means they're not even feeding their best of the best. So that's a uh-huh. real indication that sanctions are working. Also, um, there are reports that, for instance, 
officials in Pyongyang are not getting their rations from their special distribution channel. So sanctions are starting to bite, but we have a long way to go. Um, And Vice President Pence, to his credit, promised um, stricter sanctions in the very near future. And we're all waiting to see those um, because sanctions need to work if we're going to have a peaceful solution to this crisis. And what about time? Uh, On whose side is time? Uh, We heard Mike Pompeo, our CIA head, talk about, you know what, it's just a few months till they have the capability of hitting, you know, virtually any target in the United States. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but in any case, their their capabilities are building and building pretty quickly. You know, what happens first? Where, where's time? Is time on their side or uh, is time on our side? The sanctions beginning to work. Will they work sufficiently so that we can slow down this effort on the uh, uh, ballistic missile side? Um, that is a great question, because that is the critical question. Um, you know, as uh, Director Pompeo points out, uh, you know, with the North Koreans within nine months, a year, maybe even less than that, will be able to attach a nuke to a missile that is able to strike the American homeland. Um, but also times on our side, because the sanctions are working and the North Korean regime is starting to show um, some incoherence. So you have time uh, in favor of both sides. But, you know, we got to remember that, uh, you know, we focus on North Korea's missiles. But North Korea, since about 2006, has been able to detonate a nuke inside the United States. They could have just taken a crude atomic device, disassembled it, smuggled it into the U.S. across our undefended borders or in diplomatic pouches, and put it together in the city of their choice. And they haven't done that. So um, deterrence is working. If it works against a smuggled atomic device, it's certainly going to work against a missile um, because oh. there is less deterrence against a, a smuggled device than there is against one attached to a, a launcher. It's a, a chilling scenario that you, you just mentioned. Last question, then, then we promise to let you go. All those uh, people over there from North Korea, all of them there at uh, the Olympics, uh, is anybody going to defect? Is it possible to defect? Can someone just run off and say, I'm in the land of freedom, I'm staying? What, what, what precautions have the North Koreans taken? It'd be great. I'd love to see half those cheerleaders say, we're sticking around here, we're not going back. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure that about 90% of the North Koreans who are in the South right now for the Olympics would like to defect. Um, they can't, um, as a practical matter, for a couple of reasons. First of all, there are a lot of minders in the North Korean delegation. Minders mean chaperones, armed chaperones. I don't know if they're armed, but they are. Um, they're able to use force. Also, but more important than than the minders, um, these uh, folks come from you know families who are still in, back in North Korea. And if they defect, then their families, then yeah. three generations of their families get sent to what are, in effect, concentration camps. And that is a deterrent for people to defect. Three generations, your parents, your grandparents, your kids, your grandkids, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Um, wow. Basically, your, your, your parents, grandparents, and, of course, your immediate family. Or if, if you're of age, then uh, younger uh, generations. So um, that is a... Um, that, that inhibits um, defections. But nonetheless, you know, Bill, we have seen so many defections, including that soldier who crossed the yeah. joint security area. He comes from an elite family in all probability, um, but nonetheless, he decided that he had to leave, as do many others. But his uh, family now will probably be punished, right? Absolutely. No, no question absolutely. about that. 
Uh, you remind us of the regime and what it's about. So lucky to have you, Gordon. Thank you very, very much. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Gordon Chang. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Let's switch gears, switch directions. Let's take a look at the media coverage of President Trump. Whether it's a press conference, a tweet, or anything in between, Donald Trump seems to drive the mainstream media crazy, and their coverage of him is obviously very strong against him. Biased, I would say, and I think most would, even Jimmy Carter would say he's never seen such open bias. Howard Kurtz is the host of Media Buzz on Fox News and the author of the new book, Media Madness, Donald Trump, the Press, and the War Over the Truth. He joins me now to discuss. Book's doing great, right? Uh, it's just taken off. It's gotten an enormous amount of news coverage, and uh, I am delighted having... Uh, I've worked harder on this book than any of my previous five, but I also had to write it really quickly, because with Trump, things yeah. change every 10 to 20 seconds. Is the media being fair to your book, I guess? Is a, you know, uh, not everyone question. is. Yeah, yeah. Not everyone is. There's, uh, you know, I expected some backlash from the MSM, the mainstream media. Some of it is like, oh, he's a Fox guy. You would expect him to take Trump's side. First of all, uh, I don't take Trump's side. I'm tough on the White House in this book. I write about defiance disorder, which was when the president's aides all tell him not to do something. It'll be politically suicidal, and he does it anyway because he's Donald Trump. But I'm also equally tough on the press, and I'm not shocked that uh, some of uh, my uh, colleagues in the news business, which, by the way, is losing enormous credibility in the Trump era, uh, are not happy with the book. Tell me about Morning Joe. Uh, you know, look, Joe and Mika uh, were perfectly fair to me. They started off with a question about Fox. Why is it that, you know, people like Sean had me saying what I said to them was, look, there were opinion people at Fox. I don't agree with everything I said. I didn't agree with everybody on the op-ed page of the Washington Post when I worked there. What I don't like is when people out there use shorthand. Well, Fox says there's a war in the FBI. Fox says this. Well, no, we have a news division. I'm part of it. Chris Wallace, Brett Baer, we all try to be very fair. And then the opinion folks, you can argue with. I play the clips every uh, Sunday, and we argue about that. And by the way, there's equally inflammatory, if not more inflammatory stuff coming from the left on certain networks initials like PMS and others. And their response? Uh, well, we moved on after that. Um, right. And it, they were fine. A couple of the journalists on the panel were like, well, you know, Donald Trump lies every day. Don't you think the press should cover that? And I say, yeah, the press should hold the president accountable. But and then the central argument of the book, Bill, is that there is just a relentless negativity in tone, in volume. It's not just ideological. And by the way, some People on the right, National Review, Weekly Standard, are not big fans of this president either, but it's cultural. There's something about Donald Trump that gets under the skin of many journalists and commentators, and he plays that to his advantage. Okay, let's talk about that advantage, because this is the part of the book uh, and the thesis of the book that, I don't know, I guess maybe recent events prove you right. I shouldn't give you your argument here. You know your argument better than I do. But it seems to me that this relentlessness and this almost omnipresence, except for Fox, uh, and I'm now I'm using it as a shorthand, um, sure. and, a, and a few other uh, outlets, is anti-Trump. It's, I mean, wherever you go. I sit in front of the TV. I go to MSNBC. I go to CNN. I go to ABC. Mm -hmm. I go to NBC. And it's, uh, what did uh, Harold Rosenberg uh, call the intellectuals, a herd of independent minds, right? <laughs> so, so here's this herd of independent minds, all against Trump. Here's my argument with you. You say it redounds to Trump's benefit. If this stuff is out there so much and in newspapers, and doesn't it get through the air ducts? Doesn't it get into people's consciousness? Because people, most 
normal Americans are not abnormal like you and I are. They don't pay that much attention to this stuff. Although I think they're paying more attention to politics than ever before. It's become this sort of spectator sport in the Trump era. But here's the thing. Sure, I mean, it hurts Donald Trump to some extent in the sense that it probably keeps him from expanding much beyond his base. But this constant, relentless negativity, and I'm not saying there shouldn't be aggressive reporting of this president like any president, but, you know, he cheats at golf, uh, two scoops of ice cream, and just everything, and every tiny little incremental Russian development is the next Watergate. What it does is it means that he dominates the news coverage. It's all about Trump. It also means that when he pushes back at what he calls fake news and when he attacks news organizations or cable news hosts by name, which I don't think he should do, by the way, I think it's punching down, he extends that news cycle because we love to talk about ourselves and write about ourselves. But the most important point, Bill, is that for that chunk of the country that enthusiastically supports this president, the relentless negativity, they can see it. Uh, they feel like not only are we being unfair to their champion and his sort of street fighting style, but that we look down on them with condescension. Yeah. And that that, I think, is corrosive. Yeah, well, you had this comment by, who was it, Jimmy Kimmel? Was it Jimmy Kimmel? I don't know mm-hmm. get the right Jimmy, who said uh, these conservatives, you know, I don't care if they tune me out. Uh, you know, they don't, right, yeah. They can't and make and, an mo- uh, and Jimmy Kimmel's got plenty of company in late night. I mean, they all seem yeah. to be marketing anti-Trump comedy. But it does, I, I, I guess, do we go by opinion polls? How do we know that this stuff helps him? How do we know that, Howard? You know, I've been following Donald Trump for a long time. I first interviewed him in 1987 when The Art of the Deal came out. And I think that he is, you know, whatever you want to say about this president. Some people love him. Some people can't stand him. But he's kind of a master media manipulator. Uh, and I see... You know, it's almost like I think we fall into the president's trap, and I think he baits us, and we take the bait when he when he does the constant fake news thing. Even though he goes too far sometimes, I don't believe the media, which I am a product of, are the Amer- enemy of the American people, but I think they're their own worst enemy at times. So when I say it helps him, it, 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 look at the campaign. Uh, he got just an avalanche of negative stuff dumped on him, and yet he got more coverage than anyone else, and therefore that helped him vanquish, I think, the other 16 Republicans and ultimately Hillary Clinton. If the, you know, I suppose there might come a point where the public's patience is exhausted with the Trump drama, but to the extent to which, with the tweets, with the rallies, with the finger-in-the-eye approach, uh, the, the, he is still sort of driving the media debate. And if you look at every poll, and even though polls are off, but the media credibility is in the toilet. And that's a long-term trend, but I think it's yeah. exacerbated since he took office. Yeah, I was uh, I was on your show now. I'm plugging my appearance. But I, when I was on, mm-hmm. I was saying that the amazing thing is he, I'm the presence of Trump everywhere. You know, I said, slap your hand on the bar anywhere in America, anywhere in the world, say mm-hmm. Trump, and the rest of the evening is covered. You know, maybe you're yeah, I stole, I, I, it was a great observation. I've stolen it once or twice. Oh, good. You're uh, welcome to anything. Yeah. But also, I think just a small example from the book. So in Media Madness, I write about the time when there was an international uproar because Ivanka Trump uh, sat in her father's seat for a few minutes at the G20 in Germany. And behind the scenes, he come to her and said, you know, why don't you do this? She said, no way. He asked her again. She said, no way. She knew, Ivanka knew, there'd be a media freakout. Then the president sent Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, uh, in to ask her. And she said, all right. And, of course, it became it became a freakout. If everything is an 11, then nothing is an 11. If that is as important yeah. as uh, him pulling out of the Paris Climate Accords, if that is as important as Charlottesville, if that is as important as the battle of immigration, then I think, that, you know, there's a sort of a deadening, and yeah, people just say, well, there go the media again. Yeah, no, they, they, there's a numbing. Again, uh, Howard Kurtz, is, uh, the author of the book is Media Madness. Um, 
I was just talking to, to someone uh, about uh, the whole memo business, the Nunes memo. Mm-hmm. And without getting into the merits of this, the question I asked him is, uh, you know, remember, I'm a philosopher by training. I, I'm interested in the truth, right? The truth. Mm-hmm. So can we get at the truth or are we just going to have warring factions? Uh, is, 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 is that it? You know, is it, a, is it a food fight, not a Socratic dialogue? Is there a Socratic dialogue going on if we take all the press counted together? Uh, let me put it a, another way. Given what you write about in regard to the press and the relentless criticism of Trump and what Trump stands for and Trumpism and Trump supporters, is it possible to rely on the media to get us the truth? Well, that's one of the reasons I put the war of the truth into the subtitle, and increasingly it's not, and here's why. I mean, I'm not saying that there are and lots of journalists through fact-checking and original reporting that aren't trying to do a good job, but the media have largely been discredited as neutral arbiters of fact. People don't trust the fact-checkers. They don't trust the, the true squatters. And the Nunes one was a perfect example. I mean, we, you and I could sit here and get into the weeds and pick it apart, and how important was it, what it said about Christopher Steele and the warrant for Carter Page, who was a low-level volunteer in the Trump campaign, but I, you know, I watched all the coverage, and and this often happens, it's like alternate universes. On, yeah. on Fox, opinion yeah. shows, it was the bombshell of Watergate yeah. proportions, and on uh, MSNBC and CNN and the front page of the New York Times, it was a dud uh, that was just a distraction, and it never should have been released because the FBI did object to it. And the story became, uh, in headlines, President's War on the FBI and the DOJ. Now, I'm not saying that's not a legitimate thing because there are unprecedented tensions there, but all of which gets away from, okay, here's what the memo said, is it true, and what's an honest assessment of it? That was completely obliterated. All right. See, the, again, the search for truth, I had this experience during the Clinton era. Uh, I had at one point a number one book out, The Death of Outrage. James Carville had the number two book out. It was a defense of Clinton. I said, when this whole thing is over, Carville and I are going to make a ton of money touring the universities debating. You know how many invitations we got? How many? I don't know how many he got. I didn't get any. But <laughs> but that would be what I'm getting at is not, not self-serving, just a, a debate, yeah. right? Debate on a university campus. Well, if we give up on the media as a ser- on the search for truth, the war over the truth, as you have in your book, uh, the universities, is that a place where we're going to duke it out and get at the truth? I don't think so. Well, uh, not in an era when, you know, protests, right. these supposed liberal bastions are stopping conservatives from speaking. So where's the tr- where do we get at the truth? I'll tell you, you know the answer now, the modern answer? I think. Tell me if I'm wrong, Howard. Let's appoint an independent counsel. I mean, this is used as a kind of heuristic device to, sa- to satisfy the brain that there's some way to get at the truth. Let's get a commission of statesmen. I heard, you know, uh, the, the Theodore Hesburgh of our time, Leon Panetta yesterday, saying, you know, <laughs> we need an independent commission of statesmen. Who the hell are these people? You know, yeah. My, and who's going to appoint them? Yeah, my wife said you should be on that. I said they won't appoint me. Are you crazy? They won't appoint me. <laughs> no, but I mean, you see what I'm saying? Isn't that isn't that reaching for the independent council and the independent commission just to kind of example of our you know, frustration that we can't get a, it to Yeah, do. that's a top-down approach. I mean, in the age of social media, which is both wonderfully democratic and liberating and also can be a toxic sewer, people, uh, we're drowning information. People can seek out the facts if they so choose, and they can seek out, if they are smart, um, you know, opinions that 
don't necessarily line up with their opinions. Unfortunately, I have the impression increasingly that left and right in this country, uh, people, too many people are in their own bubbles. They're only consuming yeah. news of, of with a slant that agrees with they, what they already think. And I, so I think it's kind of up to the news consumer um, to to cut through the fog and figure out, you know, a reasonable approximation of the truth. I wish we would go back. You know, I spent decades in newspapers. I believe in the news business. This was media madness was hard for me to write because it is such an indictment of the press as well as a behind the scenes look at the Trump White House. Um, I wish we still had enough credibility that people at least could use us as a guide to the basic facts, then have the debate. Um, but I think that we are frittering that away. Where do we go? If we don't go with the press, we don't go the universities, uh, do we going to have to appoint an independent commission of n- neutral, neutral or neutered people? I, in, uh, people don't trust institutions. They don't yeah, trust okay. people to appoint other people. Um, I do think I was hopeful at one point because I know that Donald Trump actually does like reporters. He has a bit of a love-hate relationship going on. He loves to bash the press, but he secretly craves their approval, especially his hometown, New York Times, which he keeps giving interviews to. I thought maybe there would be a bit of a ceasefire and a little bit more of a normal quote normal adversarial relationship but i think now uh, he is so invested in uh, attacking stories some of which he simply disagrees with and others of which may have flaws and he's entitled to speak out against the press and i think the media organizations are so invested now as you were saying earlier in an anti-trump narrative in part because it's making them lots of money yeah. cnn and msnbc ratings are up as well yeah. as fox yeah. new york times digital subscriptions as well all right howard kurtz the author uh, media madness is the book one or two more quick questions can we go on like this? I mean, how long can this go on? I mean, is there? A, do we have a peace treaty? Do we have a Versailles? Do we have? Does this go on three more years? Does it go on seven more years? Doesn't don't we reach the point of? Wait a minute. Let's you know. Let's let's stop and have a drink. Let's talk this over. No. Uh, I'm all for having that drink, and I hope uh, it doesn't continue with this level of animosity and intensity. One thing I think those of us on the news side, I mean, we're just tired. I mean, you wake up at 6 a.m. and you got to deal with the latest tweets. You go out for, to get a sandwich for 20 minutes. You come back. You know, Andrew McCabe has resigned. Like, we need a break. There's no slow news weeks anymore. Who's your guy? Uh, when, the, who's the Fox guy in the White House? He always makes a comment on it. John, what's his John name? Roberts. John Roberts. Poor guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, another day. What the heck? You yeah. Know? Can't get right. to work. Work right. early enough, right? <laughs> right. And, but, you know, I mean, at some point, is the country going to get used to President Trump's unorthodox style? And are the media going to stop insisting yeah. that he adhere to some more diplomatic, uh, carefully parsing, poll-tested language? He's never going to be that guy. That's not how he yeah. got elected. And so I think that, you know, there's a phrase that some of the Trump's that media people who pose as media critics, but are really anti-Trump, use that we should not normalize his presidency. But the problem is... The media coverage is being abnormalized and justified by, well, he's such an erratic president, dangerous president, incompetent president, you name it. Uh, and I think that's at this moment, I would say it's hurting us more than it's hurting him. Us being the media. Us being the my chosen profession. Is it hurting the American people? Yeah, it is. Uh, Because so much of our collective energies now, aside from the point I made earlier about being in ideological bubbles, is being frittered away, you know, not with an honest debate about uh, tax cuts or what we should do about the Dreamers versus border security, but just uh, on both sort of the palace intrigue, the political warfare that for a lot of people outside of Washington, it's like, you know what, I'm busy. I got to... 
I got to yeah. hold down two jobs. I got kids to feed. Uh, this may be very entertaining for us, but I feel like we're getting further and further away from providing good, solid information for people who are not political junkies. Howard Kurtz, media man, is two last questions if I can squeeze them in. It's been a great uh, discussion. Thank you so much for joining us. Is this the worst anybody's ever had it? People have asked me, and I said Reagan got it bad. I thought quail was the worst treated. Bush got it bad, but there's been nothing like what Trump's gotten in terms of negativity. Is that right? Negative. Right. Well, I mean, it was, of course, the final year of the Nixon administration when Richard Nixon was in the process of being driven out of office by his own crimes, I would say. But no, it is never anything anything close to this. And part of that is, uh, you know, I was talking to Sean Spicer on Media Buzz the other day, and he was talking about, you know, conservatives expect uh, media bias. Republicans don't expect fair treatment. You know, that's an argument that's gone on for decades. But though, it is so personal with Donald Trump. He just gets under uh, the skin of so many journalists and commentators. They didn't think he would be president. They didn't think he should be president. His style offends them. So there's that. And when you marry that to the sort of Twitterverse and the pace of news now and the fact that we can all get this on our phones uh, any time or day, you know, when, uh, I worked really hard during the Clinton administration, but it, it seems easy now. We had sort of, you know, morning newspapers, uh, daytime cable and network news at night, and now it's 24-7. So I do think it's global it's cultural, and I, you know, without completely saying, you know, the president adds to this. Sometimes he fuels the fire, but it's, I've never seen anything like this. I don't think any of us have ever seen anything like this. What about apart from the media, apart from the country? People ask me as a historian. I wrote a couple of history books. Uh, what uh, you know has the opposition ever been this intense? And I think of you know the guys in uh, pre-Civil War. You know, the South Carolina guy brings a revolver to the Congress. The other guy. You know, uh, brings a knife. It's like the uh, like the the, uh, the untouchables line. Um, and we're not doing that quite. But is the balkanization in America not just the media, but the balkanization in politics in America the worst it's ever been? And is the media part of that? Exaggerates that? Holds that mirror up, and so we get a kind of double reflection. Well, with the possible exception of the period leading up to the Civil War and maybe Watergate, uh, I think it is as bad as it's ever been, okay. possibly worse than it's ever been. Yeah. I think the media are very much part of it because the media, you know, thanks to technology, are so much part of our lives now. And, and the media, yeah. it's not just how they handle this, that, or the other story, Bill. It's the framing of stories. It's the spin, the relentless spin. It's the, you know, you, as you were saying, you flip around the channels and you think you're watching two different universes. Uh, aggressively pro-Trump and virulently anti-Trump. When you add all that together, you have a very uh, polarized society. I used to say, you know, probably we're more polarized in D.C. and most people are sort of, you know, center-right, center-left, don't care about us. That has changed, and it's changed in a way that I think you are rightly worried about. Howard Kurtz, Media Madness, Donald Trump, the press and the war and the truth. I know you're exhausted. I know you're exhausted from what you're describing. I know you're exhausted from your book tour, but you're still loaded for bear, man. It's great. Uh, never too tired to talk to you, Bill. Thanks Thank so you, much. Howard Kurtz. Okay, bye-bye. Take care. Bye. That's Howie Kurtz, author of Media Madness, Donald Trump, the press and the war over the truth. And that just about does it for this week's show, folks. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett and like me on Facebook to search Bill Bennett. You can also send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. It's Bill Bennett Podcast at gmail.com. 